don't know if you know the story of this 17-year-old. I mean, he's amazing at any age, but imagine a young man who's not yet even into his 20s. Daniel was a young Israeli man taken captive in the Babylonian takeover of Judah. King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylonia, was ruthless in the ravaging of the land of Judah. They burned the city of Jerusalem. They took the city and temple treasures, and they took their young men, and they tied these young men together, and they marched them all the way to the city of Babylon. I have to stop and tell you a little story that in 18, 1989, 1990, the congregation that I was pastoring at that particular time was involved in sponsoring the Cambodian, a number of Cambodian families to Canada. And we met some wonderful people who escaped Cambodia almost miraculously and landed in the camps just across the border uh, into Thailand. And one of our congregation just happened to be there working with Youth with a Mission uh, and working in the camps of the displacement of the Cambodian people into Thailand. And it was out of that connection that we saw about a dozen families come our way to Canada, to Edmonton, and we began to meet with them and to organize them into a church. Some of them were Christians, many of them were Buddhist background, uh, but many of them became Christians and they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And eventually they became a church within the Alberta Baptist Association. Although very small, they still exist, and they're known as the Cambodian Baptist Church. And one of the stories that they told was the elimination or the killing of the educated class in their home country. Uh, the Khmer Rouge were ruthless in killing off the educated, the wealthy. So if you wore glasses, it was indicative that you had some money and maybe you had some education, and your life then was in danger. Uh, they wanted to get rid of any possible power resurgences. Daniel was taken as a prisoner of war when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah in 606 BC. And he was a very shrewd tactician. Uh, he not only took the treasures of the temple, but he took the young men. He took the children of the nobles, knowing that if he had them in Babylon, he would be able to keep reign on the puppet ruler who remained behind. <laughs> Ransom politics. Pretty clever. He was trying to manage all the people and the nations that he was conquering. And he was conquering vast amounts of, of territory. How do you prevent the uprisings? Once you've come in, you've taken the country over, and your troops have left, how do you keep the country from uh, uprising? And he trained these young guys at the University of Babylon. And Daniel graduated summa cum laude, high honors. Eventually, Nebuchadnezzar's plan would be to send them back home to keep things as he would like them to be. Because now he would have leaders who thought like him. Pretty clever. He would have won them over, changed their thinking, changed their allegiance, stole their hearts from God, all of that. We have every reason to believe that most of the young people 
went along with Nebuchadnezzar's scheme. They ate his food. Uh, they drank his wine. But Daniel decided to live above the crowd and to make an impact upon his generation. Four of the men captured in Jerusalem were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And our scripture in Daniel 1 tells how Daniel is forced to make a decision. He's being offered the king's wine and the king's food, which he knows has been offered to idols. And in his mind, this is an area of conviction, and he's decided uh, that he will not compromise on what he eats or what he drinks, and that he will stand by this conviction regardless of what it's going to cost him. We would say today, he's between a rock and a hard place. I heard the story of Mary Jane who had uh, just picked up her little boy from kindergarten. She was in a hurry, so she, she eased through a stop sign. You ever done that? Just kind of eased through a stop sign instead of coming to a complete stop. Uh, city policeman saw it all and pulled her over. He's very abrupt and very stern. And she tried to offer a word of explanation, but he interrupted and said, I'm going back to my car and I'm going to write you up. So Mary Jane sat there, seething with anger. She said out loud, that turkey. That guy's an absolute turkey. She forgot that her four-year-old son was listening in the back seat. And so when the policeman returned and handed the ticket to her, this little voice from the back seat said, he doesn't look like a turkey to me. That's between a rock and a hard place. And that was Daniel. That's the, the eighth verse of chapter 1 reads, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Against all odds, Daniel went on a, on a diet that he must have been familiar with. Now, there's a book now called, uh, by Rick Warren called The Daniel Plan. Some of you have probably read it. Um, and it has arisen mostly out of uh, Daniel 1, the Daniel plan. I have a relative who has tried it with uh, good results. I've never tried it. I probably should try it, but <laughs> I haven't tried it. But Daniel went on the diet, and after 10 days of eating only veggies and water, these guys looked healthier and stronger than all the guys going through the Babylonian training and eating all of these delicacies uh, from the king's... Uh, king's uh, hand. Now, I'm not recommending a diet plan here. Uh, most sensible plans probably work. It's those desserts that killed me. Uh, they're so good. Easter was just brutal with all that chocolate and big meals, but oh so fun. And I thought, what would Daniel do? What would Daniel do? Uh, it's amazing, you know, how God can use you if you desire to be used. Daniel was a remarkably uh, able and capable young man, only 17, but strong in his convictions. And God put him in some phenomenal situations. I'm going to move you into chapter 2. Uh, first of all, sometimes life is just too demanding. I don't know if you ever felt that way. 
This is more than I can possibly handle. I don't have the resources that are being asked of me. I heard one guy lately, he said one, he said that he had five major surgeries in one year. Five. You know, minor surgery is when it's happening to someone else. But when it's happening to you, it's major surgery. And he had five major surgeries. Have you ever been at wit's end? Can you identify with Paul and his associates who were caught in, in a storm at sea? This is how Luke, the writer of Acts, described it. He said, When neither sun or stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Acts 27, 20. We finally gave up all hope. And some of you have been in a crisis where hope was very hard to find. Chapter 2 informs us that the king of Babylon was early in his reign in his kingdom. As you know, his name was Nebuchadnezzar. And when he began to have horrible dreams, sometimes God uses the avenue of dreams to communicate to us. It's amazing how he's doing that these days in many parts of the world. The more we teach the Hearing God seminar and we learn of the diverse experiences of other people, the more we see the number of ways in which God speaks and how God has impacted people by speaking to them through dreams. It's not my experience. I don't, I don't really hear God through dreams, and he hasn't blessed me with that kind of experience. But it's remarkable the people who do have that kind of experience. And God whispers a word to them through dreams. All I'm saying is, pay attention to your dreams. It might be more than indigestion. Once in a while, God may, may have something for you through a dream. And it could be encouragement. It could be, it could be a warning. It could be a challenge. It could be a direction for your life. Just ask the Lord, are you saying something to me through this dream? Is this something I should be paying attention to? Help me to hear you well. That's all. That's all I'm saying. The king had a dream, and the dream troubled the king. In fact, it scared him. So he called in the wise men to find out what the dream meant. Tell us the dream, O king, and we shall interpret it for you, his enchanters and sorcerers said. Not a chance, the king replied. If you're so all-wise and all-knowing as you claim, well, then you tell me what the dream is. Then you tell me what it means. I'll know if you have any real insight, if you can tell me the dream, and then you can tell me the interpretation. Oh, man between a rock and a hard place. I can hear these magicians and astrologers saying, what a turkey. I mean, that's ridiculous. I, who can possibly interpret a dream if you don't know what the dream is? Tell us the dream, your majesty. Tell us the dream. We'd love to help you. I have to believe that King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to be buffaloed by his court full of... Uh, wise men and astrologers. He knew, well, they'll just make something up, and what, am I, what do I know? I won't be any further ahead. Uh, they'll, they'll just try to give me a story. Uh, so, of course, the counselors could, t could not tell the king what the dream was, 
and their failure and excuses so angered the king that he ordered all the wise men of the kingdom killed. And don't forget, Daniel was a wise man too. In fact, he was the wisest. Uh, chapter 1, verse 20. As a result, the commander of the king's guard went looking for Daniel. Now, can I just say a word about Nebuchadnezzar? Is it possible that you can rise to the highest position and you, in your heart of hearts feel like a lost child in the darkness? I think that was Nebuchadnezzar. He was filled with anxiety. I mean, what, what extreme measures with his staff of wise men? How extreme. How crazy. But what does it say? It shows the desperation in his heart. I mean, you can have it all. And yet inside be nervous and afraid and anxious and concerned that you're going to lose it all. I mean, it brings us back to the memorable words of St. Augustine that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. We are, we are just not built to lead and direct our nation for, for some who are in leadership at that level or our city for some who are at leadership at that level or our community or our church or our schools or our family inside of our own strength. We need to trust someone who is greater than, I, than we are. And Nebuchadnezzar had not yet found the one in whom to really give his trust. Maybe life is a little bit more demanding than you would want these days. Uh, resources are running kind of thin. Uh, maybe we need to run a little bit of a heart computer check and see, who are we trusting? Is it all on me? Am I expected to manage out of my own measly resources? Or, or, or can I say today, oh, it is so much bigger than I am. I know I can't. God, you have to take this because if you don't take this, I'll crumble, I'll fall, I'll fail, I'll stumble. Well, I wonder if God just allows us sometimes to be between a rock and a hard place so we can see the difference that we were intended to make. Not on our own strength, but maybe he has to bring us to the place where we say, God, I really trust you for this. It might bring something out of you that you weren't even aware was there. Your mission in life. You know, you were meant for something. You were meant to provide something. You were meant to lead something. Some of you were, were our leaders. You were meant to lead something. You were meant to discover something. Some of you were meant to compose something. Some of you were meant to write something, to sing something, or to teach something, or to transcend something. And in so doing, you improve the lives of others under the power of God, not your strength. You were meant to do it. God called you to that. Tough days for Nebuchadnezzar. But God was raising up a man through all of this who was willing to say, I'm yours, God. Take me. That was Daniel. 
And with the king's ridiculous decree, men were sent to find and to kill Daniel and his friends. You've got to love verse 14 if you're following in chapter 2. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. What? Read that again. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. <coughs> Somebody's coming to kill you? You respond with discretion? <laughs> you, dis you respond with wisdom? And that's a good thing, for sure. He's 17 years old, folks. <coughs> and he handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. I ought to be able to problem-solve like Daniel. Wisdom and discretion. Daniel hears the issue. Then he requests to see the king so that he could tell the king what his dream meant. <coughs> Excuse me. He would step up to the plate. He would meet the challenge. He would trust God. Here's a little principle when you're really uptight. When, when somebody puts you in a corner, some, sometimes we just want to explode and force the issue. Kaboom. We just come out of that corner just fighting. Here's a better way. Look what Daniel did. He requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. If you can, slow it down. We make better decisions when we slow it down. Take the time to slow the pace and hear God. So first, sometimes life is just too demanding. And it was for the king. Secondly, get a prayer covering. Get a prayer covering. When you square off against odds that you might never have expected, you need to get a prayer covering. After Daniel met with King Nebuchadnezzar and asked for more time, look what he does. He goes back home and he informs his friends and he urges them to pray to God for understanding and wisdom in this great hour of need. Daniel wants to hear from God. He wants to have revelation. Or as we would say it, he wants to have God's perspective. He wants to have God's clarity on all of this. What is God doing here? What is God saying here? Why is all of this happening right now? And he needed time to process it and to pray. Daniel recognizes the immensity of the need. Oh, there's a lot at stake here. Their lives are at stake, obviously. And he's thinking about that. But there's more. I have a sense that Daniel knew that God had called him to serve the king in these crazy days in Babylon. That God was in all of this and they were his instruments. So I really believe that Daniel gets it. That this thing is much bigger than he is. It is much bigger than what meets the eye. And Daniel knows immediately this is not something that can be calculated. This is not something that can be concocted with great brain power to be able to solve this situation. He knows that it's beyond anyone, it's beyond anyone, humanly speaking, to be able to give an answer to this. It is in the realm of the spiritual. 
he knows definitely that this one takes the help of God. And so what does he do? He goes to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, we know their Babylonians' neighbor names better. Uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he asks them to pray. He asks them for a covering. He informs them of the situation, and then he urges them to ask the God of heaven, listen to this, to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. Now, I don't want it to sound too simple here, just trite. Oh, he just prayed. I can't help but think that he was as human as the rest of us who might have been inclined to try to work our own magic. How can we solve the problem ourselves? And smart men and women apply their minds to a problem when a crisis comes. Well, we, we say, well, we can figure this thing out. It says in chapter 1 that God gave these three young men an unusual aptitude for understanding. And God gave them the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And beyond that, it says that Daniel was ten times more capable than all of the rest of the wise men in his court. He was a bright guy. Daniel was a smart young man. I, I would have thought that Daniel might have tried on his own to figure this thing out. He could get political. He could stall for time. He could do a little trickery. He could work the angles, but he didn't. He could have trusted in himself. Jack Miller, who is a Presbyterian pastor and prof at Westminster Theological Seminary some years back, one of the thoughtful pastors of the last century, once included a simple request in a letter to a colleague. And Jack wrote this. He said, please pray for my habitual tendency to trust in myself and what I can do. Please pray. I have a tendency to trust in myself, in my own resources and strength. I mean, if you are smart and clever and independent, you may have to guard against yourself. Yourself. I can figure this out in my own. I mean, it's all through the New Testament to get a prayer covering. I mean, here's just one simple instance from Paul, Romans 15, 30 to 31. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I will be rescued from those in uh, Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that the Christians there will be willing to accept the donation that I am bringing to them. I mean, it's found in so many places. I won't take the time to go through them. But pray for us. Pray for us. Give us a prayer covering. Please pray for me. Friends, what, what are you facing? Get a prayer covering. I need understanding. I need guidance. I need revelation. I need power. Pray for me. I need patience. Pray for me. I mean, I could say that today on behalf of all of us as, as staff here at uh, TCC. Pray for us. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of decisions on our plates right now and, and directions that are in front of us. New staff joining us in the weeks ahead. We're grateful for that. Pray for Pastor Norb. Ask God to give him wisdom. I say it personally. Would you cover me with prayer these days as we carve out a new place in southwest Edmonton for a brand new church? This is beyond me. 
I know this is far beyond a human skilled approach. It takes God to do this kind of work. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for our Southwest staff? Would you cover us? We need, we need a prayer covering. And you need one too. Some of you are making huge decisions that will impact you for the days and years to come. They're huge decisions. Have you asked some people to join with you in prayer? Get a prayer covering. Get with people who know the Lord. People who you can trust and you say, pray for me. I need understanding in this. I need, I need prayer for this. I need God to disclose where he's going with this and to reveal to me what I need to know. I love it. <laughs> Daniel asked his friends to pray. Listen to what he prays for. He asked his friends to pray for mercy by telling them the secret. God, would you give us, would you be merciful to us and would you tell us the secret? It wasn't entitlement, it was mercy. Lord, be merciful and show us the answer to the king's dream. So finally, receive God's answer and give him praise. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel prays the God of heaven. Chapter 2, verse 19. God answers their prayers through a vision that Daniel receives. He gives them a vision. You know, God's answers come to us in different ways. Watch for them. I'm just seeing more and more as, as my life grows that he's, he is just so diverse and unique in the way he comes to us individually and speaks. Uh, when you pray... Trust him for what he's going to say to you. As you journal, you might hear what God is saying through your journaling. Pay attention and make him through a friend or some circumstances. You may see it very clearly in the word one day. The Lord gives you a Rima word or a special revelation that just touches your heart. Be open to how God wants to speak to you. Trust God to be open to what he wants to reveal to you. And, and you'll need to be with him to hear it. The text says that Daniel praised the, the God of heaven. <laughs> well, you might say, well, sure, his life's going to be spared. Let's praise God. But actually, if you had time to read the rest of the story, we would see what a difficult task Daniel has in informing the king that his kingdom's going to crumble. You think that's easy to say once someone that's the most powerful ruler in the whole world? You have to come to them and you have to say, I've got a message for you. It's not a, it's not a message that's going to get you excited. He had some hard words to share with the king. It could have cost him his life. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was going to fall. And that's the end of chapter 2. But Daniel praised God because he knew God was at work. He'd already seen God at work with his diet and the veggies and, and the water and, and how, how God had kept him through that time and, and strengthened his body. God was faithful. Friends, if you aren't sure about the future, can you check your past? Just see the faithfulness of God. Just review the faithfulness of God good he's been to you. Daniel also could see in the vision that he received that, that there was something coming in the future. 
That was amazing. Uh, you'll have to read in more detail this, this story, but the breaking to pieces of the statue represented successive world kingdoms. But the rock that endured forever was none other than our rock, Jesus Christ, and his kingdom, which shall never deteriorate, which shall never be conquered. And Daniel had eyes to see it, that there was something coming down the road. Amazing. I'm sure he didn't have the same picture that we're blessed to have, but he could see something was coming. God was giving him, giving him some revelation, and, and he knew something was coming down the road, and he praised God. Let me just ask you a question in closing. Do you know that God wants to use you to speak into, into your world? He wants to use you to speak into your world. You carry things close to your heart. And God has put some of those things in your heart. You can ask people to pray with you. And you can receive from God what he wants to say to you. You may not be able to see the solution. But this isn't about your ability. It's what, about what God is able to do through you. It's what God is able to do through me. I may not have all the answers. But the God we serve is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that I ask or even think according to the power that is at work within me, says Paul in Ephesians 3. Although we don't have time to finish the whole chapter, in the end, in the end, King Nebuchadnezzar bowed his knee and he said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods. And he is the Lord over all kings. And that's how we want to live. So that others around us can say, wow, your God is amazing. You have an amazing God. Your God is the greatest of all. Look who he is. And then all the glory goes to him, right? Amen? All the glory goes to him. Let's stand together as we pray. Father God, you have been at work through the generations. You've always been faithful. Right back to the very beginning, back to Adam, back to Abraham, back to David, and back to Daniel. And you gave insight to Daniel, and he followed you as a young man with an obedient heart. And because he was willing to give his, his all to you, you used him, and you blessed him. So, Father, we're offering ourselves again today as people who can be used. Lord, some of your people here today may be, may be running, and they're on the thin edge of life right now. And, and their hearts just need an expression of your grace and love and mercy. So, give wisdom to them to stop and to pull into your service station and find all of your resources. Help us all, Lord, to be vulnerable, just to be willing to say, I, I really need prayer. Would you pray? Oh, renew our hearts, Lord, and protect us and encourage us and help us to see again how you want to use us. 
Lord, not my strength, but yours. Not my strength, but yours. To the praise of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.